But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. I almost wanted to entitle it, uh, Here's Your Valentine's Day Sermon. Because it's always, this chapter is called the love chapter. It's used for uh, husbands to express their wives' love to them and, and wives for husbands and, and pastors and other people use it to, to help others kind of define what love is. But as we look at it today, uh, it's, it's more important than ever that we truly see the context of this passage. You see, by reading this passage, one can evaluate two things. Like if you're looking for a ruler to measure how long a board is that you're going to cut, the measurements of what love is are found in this chapter. And we see that it can help you evaluate two things. These two things can help you evaluate. evaluate. Number one, it can evaluate the love you receive from somebody. In other words, if you want to put the love you receive from somebody on a scale and test and see what type of love it is, you can look right here. I used to tell uh, youth when I was teaching them when they were younger, and they were just starting that whole dating thing, and they were, they you know, they were going with people, and they were having boyfriends and girlfriends, and, and I would always tell the guys and the girls, and they thought I was stupid, but even as teenagers, do not date or go with or whatever they call it these days, hook up, I don't know, but do not be with anybody that's not someone you wouldn't see marrying. And like, oh my goodness, James, I don't care about marriage right now. I understand that, but one day, if you, if you pick the wrong lane in middle school, it's going to be a whole lot harder to get in the right lane when you get older, if you know what I mean. But if you really want to know if somebody loves you, you can measure their love by this passage. But also, not only does it help you evaluate the love that you receive... It also helps you evaluate the love you are giving to other people. Do you want to be a more loving husband? Yes, preacher. Do you want to be a more loving son or daughter? Yes, preacher. Do you want to be a more loving wife, spouse? Yes, preacher. Do you want to be a more loving child to your parents? No, maybe, preacher. But but still, no, honestly, everybody wants to to receive love. and, And we all would like to think that we give love back in return. But this is just a great passage because not only is this a passage about love relationships with those that we love, I know that sounds redundant, but this was written not for couples on Valentine's Day. It works, don't get me wrong. It is a great passage. But when we evaluate love, Paul was writing this to a church that forgot how to love one another at the church at Corinth. And Paul devoted his entire chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 to this. And so his intention was to capture God's reprimand. Yes, God was correcting the Corinthian church, just as I believe he would correct the church today, because he wanted to remind them of the purpose of godly love. So what is the purpose of godly love? We know the the purpose of love is to find that someone and and get married and have the 2.5 kids and a white picket fence and... You know, it doesn't always work out like that. But the purpose of godly love began with this. Number one, godly love, the church leaders were to love their church members. The church leaders were to love their church members. And then those church members would share that love to the community. That was the model in the Corinthian church that should be the model today. We should be known for our love, not our fights. 
But unfortunately, more churches are known for their splits and their fights and their factions and their power families rather than the love that they have for each other and for the community. And Paul was smacking them right over the head with this teaching. The problem is many of the Corinthian church were Christians and they were boastful and they were proud. They were, I'm better than you type of people. And their love was self-centered. Now, I I know that that we're talking about the church and we're talking about uh, Christian principalities. But look, all of us have the tendency to have a self-centered love. You see, their, their desire here was they were given spiritual gifts. Just like you are given spiritual gifts and I am given spiritual gifts to build the church. Yet instead of them using it for God's glory, they used it to set them apart from other people. They preferred to love themselves rather than to love those people God had given them to shepherd. Uh, John, Jesus put it this way in John twelve forty three. He said, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. I feel sure that if there would have been Facebook during Jesus' day, he would have said the same thing about it. Look, I'm not here to, to rally against Facebook or, or whatever social media platform you have. Look, that, that's fine. I mean, you want to see the pictures of your kids and your grandkids and, and you want to stay in touch with all of those people. But look, you know, and I know that when we do Facebook, we put on there the best that we want to be. And it's all about, I just posted something. How many likes did I get? Or I like those ones where somebody will post something. It's something like, well, that person, made me so mad and I'm not going to mention their name and they put it on there and all of a sudden you see comment or comment or comment who is it who is it who is it and all of a sudden they have 50 comments on people either knowing who it is and agreeing with them and no names it's just drama it's just attention you know and so we have to be careful that we're not lovers of ourselves the Corinthian church loved themselves more than they loved God and more than they loved others and my question to you today is how is your love life now, this is not going to go in a, a rogue direction. I promise you that. But when I'm talking about how is your love life, what I mean is, is that how well are you loving God? How well are you loving God? Because I'm telling you what, selfishness will creep into your life faster than you can say one, two, three. And so how well are you loving God? Number two, how well are you experiencing his love for you? You realize that this is a, a, a fountain, a stream, a, a waterfall, a tsunami of God's love that, that we receive when we are in a right relationship with Him. How well are you sharing God's love in your inner circles? How are you sharing God's love to your spouses, to your children, to your family, to your co-workers, and even your random acquaintances? I tell you what, if you go out to eat today at a restaurant and you got all your church clothes on and you talk about you've been going to church and you laugh with all your friends, you better not make a mess. You better be nice to the server and you better leave a big tip. If not, tell them you're with the church down the street. If you've ever had to work in the food industry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I have seen the look where all of a sudden these good church people or the church youth group came and they just trashed the place and they walk out, high five and praise Jesus. And those servers are like, oh my goodness. <laughs> they were going to get off at a half an hour early. Now they got to stay an hour late to clean up all that mess. That's not love. That's not consideration when we don't think about those people that are serving us. And that was a rabbit. I hope I killed it. 
But my point here as we look in the passage this morning is, first of all, in verses 1 through 3, we see that a life without love ends with nothing. A life without love ends with nothing. Now, I'm not talking about there are plenty of people that have relationships. There are people that that have all kinds of friends. They have all kinds of love relationships, but it is not godly love. It is worldly love. In 1 Corinthians 1 through 3, it says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I have gained nothing. Nothing, nothing. What we see here is in the first concept is that... Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. We see here, the truth of love is this. Let me show you this. The truth of love is people do not believe you love them until you show them. People do not believe you love them until you show them. Christians in the Corinthian church placed a lot of emphasis on the popularity of the speaker's ability rather than the message they were preaching. I hope as you go back and you read those three verses, you can see the sarcasm that is dripping off of the page. Paul is saying, he's looking at all these these people up there that are trying to get all these accolades for themselves. And he's saying, look, if I was perfect, but didn't have love, I would still have nothing. You see, you and I must not worship teachers and preachers. We must worship the message that they preach. You and I must be able to discern a biblical teacher, whether they are advancing the gospel or advancing themselves. We got to see that. Because just like in those days, there were people that were teaching so that they could get the praise and the money and the popularity of being the teacher without preaching the message. We got to see through these things. And if they preach Jesus and worship Jesus and Christ crucified and resurrected, then that's the kind of preacher you want to follow. That's the kind of teacher you want to follow. But if they preach anything else other than that, then please run away. I was doing some studying the other day and uh, I kind of ran down a rabbit hole. That's easy to do when you're Googling stuff, right? All of a sudden you, you are on there for a recipe and before you know it, you're finding out the meaning of life. But I remember doing some searching on teachers and, and fallen, fallen teachers and of course Robert Tilton came up, if you remember him. Uh, there, there's plenty, especially those of you that are old enough to remember the PTL scandal and the bakers and all that mess. Just really soiled Christianity for a lot of people. And I'm not throwing them under the bus, but what I'm saying is that these people were known not for the gospel that they preached, for, for the size of their ministries, the amount of money they had. And if you gave money, you would receive money and all these different things. And look at what's happened to them. Be very careful. I don't want you to worship me. I'm just a man. 
telling you what's in here, as any teacher or preacher should be. I'm not here to gain my own accolades. And you're not here to to boost my ego. You are here to hear the Word of God, and that's why we need to be here. The Corinthian church lost sight of that. And we see the second thing is, actions without love bring no lasting value. What did it say in your Scripture at the end of verse 3? If he did all of these great things, what would he have left over? Nothing. It's kind of like if you ever get a chance to go to the beach or you're, you're in the lake and you're on the, 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 the shoreline and you pick, up, you pick up dirt from the ground or the floor of the, the ocean or the sea or the river or whatever and you pick it up and all of a sudden as you pick it up, it just kind of dissolves away in your hand. Folks, that will, that's what we have in our lives. Everything that we try to hold on to without love will fade away. Paul says if he could have the faith that moves mountains, which is basically saying, if I could do the impossible. Now look, I'll go ahead and tell you, some of you, husbands, fathers, men in this church, you are close to perfect. I'll go ahead and tell you, you are close to perfect. I'm joking. I'm nowhere near perfect. And, but your, your spouses are perfect, right? No, they're nowhere near perfect. There is not one perfect person in here. And so what Paul is saying is, if I could be perfect and have not love, then I would have nothing. Do your actions of love build value into somebody else's life? Or do they simply make you feel better about yourself? You remember back when you were younger and you wanted to hang around the popular crowd so you would look better? That ain't love. That's... Self-love. And I got news for you. It didn't stop when you were in middle school. Everybody wants to be included. Everybody wants to have friends. Everybody wants to be a part of something. But, you know, some of you may say, I speak with people who say, I work all the time and try to put food on the table and provide for my family. That's how I show love to them. I hear that a lot. Look, I, I, I'm putting food on the table, preacher. They ought to know I love them. Does working nonstop only to come home to eat, clean up, and go to bed show your family that you love them? Does spending all your time away from the home show your children how much you love them? We all have to work to provide. I understand that. I'm not saying if you work all the time that you are an evil person. But what I am saying is if you think people know that you are showing love by the things that you do, It's not always about the things that you do. A lot of times it's about the time that you spend with them. We all have to work and provide for our families, but some of you have worked hard in the mills, on your feet, and for long hours, and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are here today because of the work that you put in when you were younger. But my friend, let me tell you what, it wasn't that work that they saw. It's that time that they spent with you. It's that love that they had when they came to your house and they tasted that chicken you used to cook. Or they, they, they just, I, I, I've got fond memories of when I would go to my grandparents' house and just how they would spoil me to death. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do as grandparents, right? Spoil the children. But the question is, that all that working that you did in your life build into others or just keep your wallet full and give you some sense 
of self-satisfaction. We also see verse 3, love is tested. He said, I gave everything I have to the poor and sacrificed my body that I would boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Folks, we must always test our motives for everything that we do. Do we sacrifice our lives and possessions out of loving obedience to the Lord? Or in doing so, are we just looking out for our own needs? Look, provide for your family. Work hard. Have a good work ethic. But shepherd your family. Communicate to them why you do what you do. Also, adjust your priorities to reflect your love for God, family, and others. That's the way this works. You have God first, family second, others ministry third. That's the way it works. And you can say it, and you can say, Preacher, those are my priorities. But does your calendar show that? Does your checkbook show that? Your bank account won't roll over in eternity. I'm sorry to tell you that. All your great investments, they stay right here. Somebody else will fight over it when you're gone. All of these things that we work to accumulate and to gain is nothing without godly love from God Himself and in our families. The next thing we see in verses 4 through 7 is that a life with love endures. A life with love endures. And here we go. Here's the the moment where you put your hand over your heart. And you get ready to think about Valentine's Day. But here is the measurement of love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. And it does not rejoice about injustice. But it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. I love verse 7. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So he says here love is patient. That it's not proud. That word that he uses means love is not puffed up. It's not like a marshmallow. It's very big, but yet inside of it there's nothing but air and sugar. There was a husband and wife. They had been married for 60 years. And they had no secrets except for just one. The woman had kept in her closet a shoebox that she forbid her husband to ever look at. So as she was on her deathbed, she finally gave the husband permission to look in that box. So as she is on her deathbed, he runs home and he looks in that box. And in that box, he finds a little crocheted doll and $95,000. And he went back to her and he said, look, I, I don't understand that. What does this mean? And she said, well, my mother told me that the secret to a happy marriage was to never argue, she explained. So she said, I should keep quiet and just crochet a doll. And well, the husband thought, well, I must have been a pretty good husband. There's only one doll in there, so where's the $95,000 from? And she said, well, that's from all the dolls I've sold before then. <laughs> so... So if your wife is crocheting dolls, make her mad. It might pay off for you then. No, that's not, that's not the purpose of that illustration. The purpose of the illustration is this. Is that arguments, they happen in any relationship. And when I, when I read this, 
Some of these I was reading, it was like, ow, ow, because I mean, it's kind of kicking me as I'm reading it. I am not perfect. I, I struggle with these things, and, and I don't think that there's anybody that's going to have all of these together at one time, but it sure does let us know, A, where we are going wrong, and B, where we need to improve. Arguments happen in any relationship, and Paul was trying to deflate the ego of these church leaders that were puffing themselves up with, oh, I speak in tongues, or oh, I'm, I've got prophecy gift, or I've got a gift of teaching, and oh, look at me. No, he was saying, look, those things don't matter. Those in the church thought that they were better than those outside of the church. Let me show you this. The minute you place your values above someone else, it ceases to be love. The minute you place your values above someone else, it ceases to be love. That goes for in church, but that also goes in your home. That also goes in your career. That also goes in everything that we do. The moment that you look at the person you love, and it's not, how can I build value in that person? How can I make that person better? The minute is, how can I get what I want? That ceases to be love and becomes lust and selfishness. And this is not for the young folks. This is for everybody. I've heard people say, and sometimes I've even felt, my wants are not being met. If you've ever thought that, well, my needs are not being met, I would ask you, well, what needs are you needing of the person you love? Or I've heard, I just want to be heard. Let me ask you, are you listening to them? I've heard, I want their attention. And I would say, well, to who or what are you giving your attention? <laughs> Love does not grow at the expense of someone else. Your love for your family, your love for God, your love for your spouse, your love for your children, your love for your parents, it will not grow at the expense of someone else. We see in verse 5, it says, It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. Folks, do not get angry when your routine is interrupted. Sometimes God will interrupt your life because He loves you. Some of my most frustrating times in life have been when my routine is interrupted. When, when a piece of a, a phone or a tablet or a computer won't work like it's supposed to work and then I'm wrecked for the rest of the day. Or you get in and you turn the ignition on your car and that little engine light comes on. Oh, it's a bad day, isn't it? And then all of a sudden the whole world is bad. I'm guilty. I can be irritable just like anybody else. But you know what? If I take it home and my wife sees an irritable person, I'm not living up to this passage, am I? And neither are you. Love is not irritable. But sometimes God will interrupt your life. Why does God interrupt your life? I'll tell you why. Number one, you may be headed for a fall. He might have interrupted your life because you may be headed for a fall. You may have strayed away. You may be getting ready to make a bad decision Or maybe just he's giving you an opportunity to help somebody else. 
I remember in times of, of, of God's interruptions in my life where there were some of the toughest times that I went through, but now I use them for His glory and I can help people that have been where I've been. And it gives me greater perspective. Sometimes even those you love will interrupt your schedule. You have to keep a kid home because they're sick. Your schedule gets busy. Your health starts to fail. You become concerned with yourself and selfish living. These are things that will interrupt love in your life. But love forgives and forgets. Love forgives and forgets. There was a time when a man really messed up and he made a really bad decision. So his wife chewed him out for it. Well, he apologized and they made up. So, however, from time to time, he would mention or his wife would mention the things that he had done. So her husband had enough and finally said, why do you keep bringing that up? You were supposed to forgive and forget. And his wife replied, well, I don't just I just don't want to forget that I've forgiven you and forgotten those things that you've done. In other words, she didn't want, she, she made it sound like she wanted to remind him of what he had, she had forgiven him of. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is forgetting. Let me show you this verse. I've showed it to you before and I've showed it to you again until you get it. Hebrews 9, 12 about forgiveness. He says, God says, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You will never forget some of the things that have been done to you. They leave scars in your life. But the difference is, is that with true forgiveness, just as God has forgiven you, you choose, when you look at that situation and you look at that person, you look at them and you say, you know what? I remember, but I choose not to hold it against them because that has been forgiven. Forgiveness is letting love overcome the hurt. Forgiveness is letting love overcome the hurt. It is rebuilding trust. It is rebuilding trust and restoring relationships. Sometimes I, I, I sit down with couples that are having troubles and I, and I have them write the word trust on a piece of paper. And then I will just rip it into about 20 different pieces and put it in front of them and say, okay, how do you get that back together? How, trust is gone. How do you get that back together? And they would say one piece at a time. And I'm like, absolutely. When you have, whether it be a little disagreement or you have a total collapse and failure of trust, it doesn't mean you have an automatic out. It means you seek God. You seek forgiveness. You choose to not remember it against them no more and you put it back piece by piece. Sometimes you're able to do it. Sometimes you're not. But just remember... Jesus made it possible for God to forgive you and your sins. When you stand before God and there is a great viewing of everything that you've done in this world. And he looks at you and he says, you know what? I don't see your sin. I see my son's blood that has covered each one of those. Come on in, my good and faithful servant. That's forgiveness. And my friend, that's the forgiveness we are to extend to others today. How can we be forgiven by Jesus Christ 
and not forgive his children. Allow me to read it one more time. Verse 7. Love never gives up. It never loses faith and is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, our families in America are under attack. Pornography flows the internet worse than sewer. People are leaving their families and their wives because of people that they have reconnected with on social media. Maybe it's a harmless thing at work. Maybe it's just that people just outgrow each other. How many times do we have to see a husband and a wife that they spend all of their energy on their kids until they get to be about 12 or 13 and old enough to understand and then they look at each other and they look at a stranger because they quit dating 15 years ago. Love takes work. Love takes time. And I know that there are people in here that have been married more than once. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means that here is what God says that we need to do in our relationships. And so we need to do it. Are we going to be perfect at it? No. But it gives us a bar to ascribe to. It gives us a goal. And even better yet is that He helps us get to that point. The third thing that we see is a life without love is incomplete. In verses 8 through 12, he says, Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gifts of prophecy reveal only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When a child, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Folks, you and I have been given spiritual gifts to be used to build the church of Jesus Christ. The problem the Corinthian church had was that they were using their spiritual gifts to puff themselves up and to help them stand apart. I'll think of that lady that that told my mom in the beauty parlor, well, you know only Southern Baptists are going to go to heaven. And she was as serious as aren't that. Beauty beauty shop doctrine, there's nothing like it, right? I got news for you, there'll be more... There will be more than Southern Baptists in heaven. There will be believers in Jesus Christ. But the thing is, is that we're not set apart because we're Southern Baptists. This is where when we read the Bible and where we see what it teaches and the doctrines that we believe in, we all agree that this is what the Bible says. It doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. It just means this is the way that we worship Jesus. We're not elite. We're all beggars looking for bread. And we just happen to find it. In a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Here's the kicker. Why not just say it instead of beating around the bush? They were using their spiritual gifts to profit and to get their own self puffed up. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? The purpose of spiritual gifts is not to set you apart. But even in this sanctuary right now, there are different people that have different spiritual gifts. And the problem is, it's not to separate us, but it's to bring us together. That's just like my wife and I. My wife and I are different on many, on many things and we're wired differently. And thank God for it. Because it doesn't set us apart. It makes us stronger. 
And as a church, you may not have the gift to teach. You may not have the gift to preach. You may not have the gift to sing. Or you may have it. I don't know. But whatever gift that you've been given, it's given to you to bring us together and to make us more complete. And there's a whole other sermon we can do on the body of Christ about that. But the thing is, is that you have been gifted not to be set apart, but to bring together. And here's the crazy thing. What Paul says is these spiritual gifts that we have, when we get to heaven, we're not going to need them. Those spiritual gifts are given to us to build our love relationships, to build his church, and to bring people to him. And once we're there, we're not going to need them. We're going to have a whole new set of tools. Verse 9, we saw that love for believers with other spiritual gifts brings unity. And then we also see that godly love brings growth. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but I grew up and put away childish things. Aren't children beautiful? Can I get an amen? Children are absolutely beautiful. They are God's gift. And they are such a great blessing. But they also need a lot of care. They also need a lot of nurturing. And they also need to grow. They need to be taught. They need to be taught to share their toys. They need to be taught not to be selfish. They need to be taught to think of others before themselves. And so what Paul is saying here is that a childish believer that behaves like a child has a lack of love and needs to grow up. A child that is a child is cute, but an adult who acts like a child is not cute at all. If someone is still acting childish, they have not grown spiritually, is what Paul is saying. So in conclusion, I would end with verse 13, which means that a, a life with God's love will last forever. Notice what it says in verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these things is what, church? Love. That's right. As we discussed last week, this world has a skewed view of love. It's a put-yourself-first world. It's a find someone to please you and meet your needs world. If you want to go for it, go for it, regardless of what it costs to somebody else. But to have a God like love life. In other words, if you want your love life to mimic and mirror the godly love that you experience, you need to be unselfish and sacrificial in that love. Like building a house. If you look at this, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Faith is the foundation The gospel message of Jesus Christ. The fact that you were saved by His grace and His blood. The hope gives us attitude of dependence upon God. And then love is the actions that we take to love God and love others. I was talking to a friend the other day and and he's uh, rebuilding or their, their family is kind of rebuilding their house. And they've got all these plans and they'll finish one room and they'll go to another room and they'll go to another room. And you know what? If they had plans, that's great. But at some point, you got to pull up that first piece of floor. At some point, you got to hit that hammer. At some point, you have to take apart those cabinets. At some, at some point, you need to take action. And folks, love is the action. 
We are to love each other in this church. We are to love people outside of this church. And we are to love our family members as Christ loves us, sacrificially and unselfishly. Does your love life do that? Love is action. There was a little girl who was invited to dinner at the home of her first grade friend. And the vegetables were buttered broccoli. So the mother of her friend asked, Oh, honey, do you like broccoli? She said, Oh, yes. The child replied politely, I love broccoli. Well, but when the bowl of broccoli was passed and she declined to take any, the hostess said, Well, I thought you said you love broccoli. And the girl replied, Oh, yes, ma'am, I do, but not enough to eat it. <laughs> Look. You can want this type of love that God talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. But if you want it, you're going to take action in your life to not make the Bible match what you want. To make your life and your love match what God's Word says. Love is action. 1 John 3.18 Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. How is your love life? One of pleasing yourself or pleasing God? Do you put the needs of others before yourself? Look, Valentine's Day is one day out of the year. But loving with action needs to occur every single day. Every day. day. That's right, Miss Pauline. Loving God enables us to love others. How does your relationship with God impact your relationship with others? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for showing us in your word today how we can improve our love lives first and foremost with you. May we not follow you for selfish gains. May we not follow you just because of what we get out of the relationship. It's so much more than than insurance from hell, Lord. It is the daily benefits that you give us of living for you. And may we put you first, even before our families, so that when we love our families, we're loving them like you love us. And may we as a church take this love outside of these walls, because that is what this lost and dying world needs. But there may be someone in here today that has been convicted and said, you know what, I have not experienced God's love. You may think that I don't have a relationship with God and and I'm still, my life is so messed up right now that I don't know where to start. It starts at the cross. It starts at the cross of Jesus where his blood was shed for you, my friend. If you want to know that love, I want to pray with you. I want you to come forward. If you don't want to come by yourself, you can come with somebody else. Your love life starts at the cross. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you want to pray where you are. Join the church, get baptized. Whatever your decision may be, may you respond this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?